Hello everyone, welcome to Security Unleashed podcast, when we teach our audience how to stay private and secure online. And welcome my co-host Vahram Darpinian. Hello Vahram. Hey everyone. Hey Alex. It's really nice to be back here and I hope to make this a permanent thing. So let's let's start. Oh nice, nice. It's really nice to hear that. Uh, so today uh, we're gonna talk about uh, passwords again, <laughs> but this time uh, the password managers, uh, password management for developers. So if you are a developer and you are creating your website or you are, you are responsible for designing a database or web applications uh, for some companies, so this will be definitely very interesting for you. So we're going to talk about how how you should store the your passwords in uh, users password in the database how to not store them what to do and what not to do what kind of attacks are there and uh, how to protect from them. So I think this will be really interesting podcast for you. Okay, so first let me ask the question, how does password verification work at all? Like what happens when someone types in a password? Uh, what happens behind the scenes? So, uh, first of all, when you register, when you when you create an account, you provide your password, often, oftentimes two times, right? So the website knows that you correctly typed it in, and then it stores your password on the on their database. And after that, when you want to log in you type in your password again and website have to compare it with the saved password and tell if if your login is successful or not the question is how these passwords are stored there so uh, being an old timer and uh, i've started like uh, web development in 2003 i've seen like all kind of stuff there and uh, i want to tell like what, what what's the first thing that comes to, comes to the beginner's mind. The, the simplest thing you can do, you, you just create some fields in your database for like username, email, and password. And when user registers, you just put this password in there. So it probably will be some kind of a string field like varchar or something. And uh, you store your password there. So you may ask like, okay, what's, what's the problem with that? So my advice is never do like this. So this is this, why, why is bad? So let's define our attack vector from what, what kind of attacks we are trying to prevent. So imagine a hacker in the future gets into your server and steals your database. So if, and the problem is that many users are using the same password on many websites and there often are weak passwords there are some names or some ordinary english words there maybe with some numbers i don't know but the main problem is that users are often reusing their passwords uh, across different services so if for example hacker gets your database and all the passwords are in the clear there so what what will hacker do it will also have the email of the user and will try that uh, email and password combination on different other services and boom all of the <laughs> accounts of that 
users are compromised. So we're trying to uh, protect our users in and their passwords in case of a database leak. Uh, so how, how to do that? Uh, so the first thing that can, comes into mind, uh, you can just uh, hash the password and put it there, right? So what is the hash and what is hashing, right? Hashing is a cryptographic operation and uh, what hashing function does, it takes the input, the user's password, for example, and converts it, to, to make some operation on it and converts it to some gibberish. And the main properties of the hash function is you, it's very easy to go forward. So it's very easy to ha hash a password that gets the hash output, but it's impossible to get in the other direction. So it's, if you have the hash, uh, it's impossible to get the password back. Uh, the other property of a hash function, if that is, if you put in the same string, you're always gonna get the same result. So it allows you to check that this is a right string without having the string itself. So think of it like a fingerprint of a password or, or some string. Yeah, so uh, this might be good, and uh, some like old time. <laughs> Hashing functions include uh, MD5, which uh, you should not be using anymore because it's considered not secure anymore. SAJ1, which is haven't broken yet, but it's uh, it's nearly uh, there, like to be broken. So don't use the SAJ1. Uh, if you want a solid hash function, use SAJ256, for example. Yeah, but um, the other problem is. Uh, so we hashed our password and with SAJ256 and stored in the database, right? So we're safe, right? Probably not. <laughs> so, well, yeah. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. Uh, yeah, we're not safe, unfortunately, because something that is designed in very many hash functions is that they are designed to be fast, which mm -hmm. is a good trait generally. Because hash functions are not only used for password storage. They are used for calculating checksums and in very many other operations. So them being fast is actually by design, something that is intended to, to be there. But in case of passwords, that's not really helping us. Because with fast hash functions, we can do a brute force attack. Basically, we can try iterating different combinations, different passwords, and by the sheer luck or persistence, we can end up getting the original string that was hashed. So even if the hacker gets access to the hash of the password, it's still not safe because there yeah, are just let me add that uh, the brute force actually is the last thing that the hacker will try. Uh, actually, there are like dictionary attacks which are very, very effective. So what 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 the hacker will do? It, it has uh, so there are like a lot of uh, large dictionaries out there on the internet or precompiled dictionaries. And you feed that dictionary to the tool like John the Reaper, <laughs> uh, this 
pretty old tool actually. And uh, it will try, uh, it will hash all the items in the dictionary and then uh, try that hash to, to find that hash in your database. And if it's found, then you found your password. But also, it's like many users, by the way, are doing this clever stuff like replacing O's with zeros or I's with ones, this kind of stuff. But guys, please, please don't do it. <laughs> it's not safe. And the this hacking, this brute forcing tools are very capable of producing this kind of uh, variants during the brute force too. And combining different words and replacing this, making this kind of replacement, or for example, replacing S's with dollar signs. Uh, so just don't do it just uh, in general uh, like as we told in the last podcast just use long random but really random passwords and uh, to to crack the really random password then you will need like full brute force like trying all combinations of passwords but uh, actually uh, like these dictionary attacks, these clever dictionary attacks are very effective. And most of the time they will find the passwords for 70 or 80% of the users right away. So <laughs> don't do that. Uh, so you were talking about slowness of the, of the hash functions. Please continue. Yeah, right. So what I was trying to say is that hash functions being fast is actually working against us in this case. So we actually want to deliberately make it slower. And one of the things we can do to make it slower is hash the password over and over again. But not to do that in a simple loop with, say, 1,000 or maybe 100,000 iterations. There are special functions for that. One of those functions is pbkdf2, which is a key derivation function and is specifically designed to make the process of hash calculation slower. And there are other options, Alex? Uh, yeah, and the other option is argon2, which we're going to talk about a little bit later uh, when we get to that. Uh, but yeah, so the, the other uh, the other approach that uh, hackers may imply, uh, besides using dictionary attacks, uh, so so it is, if, if the hashing is slow, what the hacker can do, he can take his dictionary and pre-compile the hashes for that dictionary. So it will he will spend more time for that, but he should he has to do it once, right? So he takes uh, all the possible words and word combinations and uh, and all all kind of stuff, and it he just runs this hash function, the slow maybe slow hash function, and generate hashes. And after that, when he gets a new database from somewhere. You just can look in the database and see what, what kind of uh, strings are matching to his precompiled database, and he can crack all the passwords at once really quickly. So what we can do, this, and by the way, this is called rainbow table attack. So this rainbow table he generates uh, beforehand. And what we can do to mitigate that, the, the technique is called salting. So you add a salt to your, to your password hashing scheme and what it is what a salt is is just a random string that you generate for each user and you before hashing a password you just 
concatenate password with the salt and you hash that. So this effectively destroys all, all kind of rainbow attack, uh, rainbow table attacks because uh, for each user, you have to generate a special rainbow table, which is which defeats the point of the rainbow table, right? You just will just uh, brute force it right away. And uh, the thing is, you, ha you don't have to keep the salt secret. So salt can be another field in your database on the user's table. And salt uh, is not meant to be a secret. It just uh, it just messes up the same output of the of the same input, right? So, and and also it, it's good for for example that if two users have the same password, their hashes will be different, right? So you can't look up in the database who has the same password stored there and guess from that. So every hash of the same password will be different in your database. And well, that is why using salts is considered a standard best practice in storing passwords. And uh, that is something that never should be omitted if you want to be confident in your setup. Uh, and yeah, again, the salts should be unique for each and every password, uh, sorry, for each and every user, because otherwise it will also defeat the salt's purpose. Mm -hmm. And there's actually another thing that people do, uh, which is a bit controversial, and me and Alex don't exactly share our opinions on this thing, which is called Pepper, another, another seasoning for our passwords. So Pepper is just a hard-coded value which is unique for the application and is not stored in the database, but it's stored maybe in your code or maybe in a key storage, if you use something like that. And it's also concatenated alongside with the salt or it's used in another hash function. And it makes uh, the situation that if the database is leaked, the pepper is still missing. So even brute force is impossible. Uh, well, not impossible, but even harder to pull off. But the problem with the salts, uh, sorry, peppers, is that what happens if the pepper is leaked and you need to change it? There is nothing you can do because it is already embedded in the hash of each and every user. So you can't really do anything about it. So my take in this case is not using peppers, and maybe that's why it's not considered the standard practice, but instead, if you really want to make sure that if your database is leaked, there is another layer of security there, you can use symmetric encryption and just encrypt the hashes that are stored in your, your database after, after applying all the PBKDF2 or whatever you're using at that point, and just storing the symmetric encryption key somewhere safe in your code or maybe in a key store. So, Alex, what's your take on that? Uh, so, uh, I think both methods are valid. And um, I would argue that uh, making symmetric encryption uh, is adding an overhead, uh, computational overhead to your server. But uh, actually, Pepper does not because it's like fixed string that you just add to the 
hashing function that you anyway is gonna is going to be running, right? Uh, but yeah, if if the pepper is leaked, uh, you can you can still change it, and you can apply the same technique that uh, you use, for example, to upgrade your pas password hashing. And uh, I hope you can elaborate on that because uh, I, I know that recently you you've gone th through this process, and uh, yeah, you can replace the pepper, but it's it's actually a lot a lot harder than just decrypting the database once and encrypting it back with another key. Uh, yeah, but it, this is this is actually for the just for the situation that you, uh, you, for example, your database backup is leaked, but your servers are actually not compromised. So the hackers got the database, but they don't have the source code to or your config files to see the pepper. And yeah, this this effectively makes the brute forcing impossible because you have to guess a pe pepper first. Uh, yeah, w I, but if it's 256 bytes, uh, uh, 256 bits, sorry, uh, then it's yeah, it's pretty good impossible. Good luck with guessing. Yeah, that. good luck yeah, with right. guessing that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, and, and, and regarding yeah, and regarding the upgrade. So, what to do if you have, for example, uh, you already have a website and you've done one of the earlier stages on that, for example, just hashing without any salt or salt without any pepper, how to upgrade your uh, hashing seamlessly for your users? Well, uh, one of the approaches uh, that I actually used relatively recently is well, recalculating the hash value whenever the user logs in, because if you're using plain text password that is sent to your server, well, we'll talk about some other options regarding that. But if the plain text password is submitted to your server, at that moment, you basically have the plain text password. And if you check it with the hash and it turns out to be the right password, voila, you have the plain text. So you can use that opportunity to recalculate your hash and maybe increase the number of rounds that is being used there or maybe change your pepper. The downside with this is that is that in most of the cases, this is a very slow process because uh, if your website or application has users that are not visiting it every single day, it's going to take a while to update all the passwords. And I'm sure so, there yeah. will be a lot of users that will never log in again <laughs> Absolutely. on your database, yes. Okay, and another thing regarding passwords, which is something to, worth mentioning here, is using slow comparison when actually comparing the hash strings. Uh, I'm talking about using special functions, which do not return their values as quickly as possible. For example, if you're comparing two strings and the first characters don't match, most of the string comparison functions will return automatically saying, yeah, this is not the same th string because there is no point in going on with the comparison. But this actually leaves space for something called timing attack. This is actually not very commonplace because it requires a lot of resources and 
huge company computational powers to pull off. Uh, but still, it is generally considered a good practice to use slow comparison functions that always always return during the same time. So irrelevant if uh, the the string is uh, not a match at the first character or is not a match at the last character, it's going to still return with the same duration. And so, sorry, yeah, but uh, what kind of a, from what kind of attack uh, this this uh, helps you to mitigate? Uh, this uh, this helps you to avoid attacks of guessing the hashes. So imagine the hacker is submitting a password, and if if the calculated hash is not a match at the first character, it 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 returns instantly. If there is a match at the first character, but uh, is not a match at the second, it will return a tiny bit later. And with internet speeds, that's usually not an issue because those differences are really hard to calculate. But for example, if you have access to the server, like direct access to the server, there is actually a possibility to pull this sort of attack off because uh, hmm, you okay. can actually time time the response. Okay, so let if you have a sufficient re timing resolution to measure the server response, you can guess the particular user's hash without compromising the database. So you can leak his hashes and then make a brute force on them later, right? Yeah. Without right. compromising the server or database or some, anything else. You just query the server many times, measure the time of, of the response, and you guess which characters are right and which characters are not. And you're actually guessing one character at a time, which is really easy. Insanely long, insanely long. Yeah. And again, that's why I mentioned that this is an honorable mention here, not, not a real issue. But given that this sort of attack exists in theory, it is a good practice, and um, there's a term for that, defense in depth. So you just place all the good practices. And the libraries that we're going to be talking about in a little bit, they all use these sort of functions when comparing hash values. Nice. Okay. So uh, let's continue to the libraries and uh, what to do in the practice. But uh, first, uh, let me mention that uh, this episode of Security Unleashed is brought to you by Stingle Photos. So Stingle Photos is an open source and end-to-end -end encrypted convenient gallery and backup app that encrypts your photos on your device with an unbreakable encryption before backing up. So your data is always safe from us as a provider, hackers, government, or anybody else. No data leak is possible. Unlike other security-oriented software, Stingle Photos is really easy to use and feels like your ordinary gallery app. If you are seeking for a secure, zero-knowledge and privacy-respecting alternative to Google Photos or Apple iCloud, please check out Stingle Photos. So, yeah, 
<laughs> well, thank you for reminding us about Stingle Photos. And me as an iPhone user have a question, which I'm waiting for quite long. Uh, do you have any news about the iOS version? Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for mentioning that. Uh, actually, we have launched a public beta of the iOS version several days ago. And you can join our uh, Telegram channel to get the updates about Stingle Photos and all the stuff that is happening there. Yeah, so to, to, uh, to get the updates about Stingle Photos and what's happening there, you can join our Telegram channel. It's t.me slash Stingle underline photos. And, or you can just search the word Stingle in the Telegram and it will bring up uh, right away. And also we have a Telegram group uh, where you can participate, ask questions uh, or get uh, support really quickly <laughs> right there and uh, share your feedback or request for features, this kind of stuff. So it's really fun there. This group consists of real fans and followers of Stingle Photos. So it's really fun there. Thanks a lot. So well, we're planning. Uh, so, so the only thing is missing in iOS version right now is the payment part. So you can't buy a subscription right now, storage subscription uh, using the iOS right now. But we're actively working on that, and we expect uh, this feature to come in uh, in the next week or so, and we'll release a production version of the thing, first production version of iOS. Awesome. That's really exciting news. And I'm really waiting for the iOS version to be fully available, but I'll make sure to check out the beta version as well, because I'm really waiting for it. Yeah. And uh, for the iOS part, uh, so as you know, iOS is pretty much uh, is very restrictive in terms of uh, how the background processes work. So we're also actively working to make some workarounds for auto-import so your photos will be automatically encrypted and imported and backed up to Stingle Photos. Yeah, this is kind of a challenge right now. <laughs> well, I feel like that's going to be a tough one, a real challenge, but I'm yeah. sure that you'll overcome it. <laughs> yeah, and also we're good. in the next version, we're going to build a camera module like in the Android app. So you will be able to take photos right away in, in single photos and they will not end up in your gallery and then import it, which might be not instantaneous due to iOS restrictions. So yeah, we're trying to solve a lot of problems there to make it as convenient as possible and also, yeah. Awesome. So let's let's move on with the libraries, right? Okay. So... Well, we talked about how to store and also not store passwords, but the general, the TLDR version of this podcast is just use a good library. But that would not be very interesting, right? So let's dive a bit into what yeah, sort yeah, of libraries the, are the, there. The general advice is never create your own crypto, like never. <laughs> If you're not a professional acad academic uh, cryptographer, don't create your, your own crypto. Don't make up stuff thinking that, oh, I scrambled, uh, scrambled the bits a lot, so that might be secure. No, 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 it, it won't. <laughs> 
believe me. Yeah, and it's, even if you are an academic <laughs> in the crypto field, uh, that is something uh, that if you create something like that, it should be peer reviewed and should be tested, tested over by time, a yes. lot of different people before it can be considered safe. Yeah, so and, yeah, and, let's and, talk. Yeah, well, one more thing. Just considering something safe and secure, you can't uh, say that right away, right? This is secure. This has to be tested through time and through peer reviews and lots of eyes looking at, at, at it, right? So you can't just create something out of blue and say, this is very secure. Like, no, <laughs> you have to like use some well-established and time-tested libraries to... Uh, to be sure that your creation is secure. Okay, so let's talk about something that quite fits that description, something that has been tested by time and is considered a standard. One of the libraries that I can recommend for password man management on the server side is Bcrypt. Bcrypt uses all the standard practices, so it already has salt in it, so you don't have to be dealing with adding salt to your passwords. It is future-proof by design, so you can increase the computational complexity when the hardware becomes faster. So you can increase the number of rounds that it passes through, say once once a year or maybe when you upgrade your servers. So that is something that is designed in Bcrypt. And let me talk a, a bit about Bcrypt from the more technical perspective. So Bcrypt is, again, a hashing solution. I don't want to say hash function because it's not exactly a hash function. Uh, it uses Blowfish, a time-tested symmetrical encryption algorithm. And it uses a feature of Blowfish, which is its key setup phase, which is really slow. And that feature is being exploited in this case to make the calculation of the password really slow. So it uses the key, deriv uh, key setup part over and over again to create a hash result which which you store in your database eventually. Some minor technical aspects here is that it only uses the first 72 characters of your password. So if you have an insane user who decided to use more than 72 characters, those are going to the the characters over 72 are going to be neglected, but that's not a, a big issue because uh, again, most of the passwords are not that long. And something else that I would really like to mention here is that it's not really safe to use Bcrypt alongside with other other hash functions because it has this interesting, not a bug, but a feature that it ignores everything after a null byte. So if you hash your password with, say, SAJ256 and put the raw output of that function into Bcrypt, it might actually give you terrible results because 
if there is a null byte in the output of SAJ256, it's going to ignore everything after that null byte. Mm, and again, this is this is not a bug. This is coming from the C crypt, uh, sorry, the crypt3 library that is the C library that is used there. Uh, and that's something that is there on purpose, let's say. But there is actually a pretty simple fix for that, even if you want to use bcrypt alongside with some other functions. Either use the hex output of your hash function or just simply use a base64 on the raw output. Both results are going to be usable with the bcrypt. So yeah, uh, and if, if you're... Um, not comfortable with using the hacks or base64, just don't mess with it. Just use it, just use the bcrypt library by itself. And bcrypt is something that has been tested by time. And I guess that's one of the reasons that is, uh, that bcrypt is considered to be the standard in PHP. And that's that's a primary language I'm using, and it's it's a standard password hashing solution for many other technologies out there. So yeah, yeah. Bcrypt is something I can definitely recommend. So Alex, what other options are there? So uh, what I wanted to add, just uh, the Bcrypt is one of the most convenient ones for the developers because uh, developers don't need to create a separate field for salt and keep it separately and manage it. Uh, it's all integrated into Bcrypt and Bcrypt just gives you one output which also contains the salt and everything and you just store it in the one password field. For the other solutions, you will have to manage your salt and pepper separately and uh, that's not a big deal, I think. So the other option, as we already told, that it's pbkdf2. And you just take the password from the user, add salt to it, and hash it many times. So And you, you might ask, like, how many times? So this is something that you have to test on your actual hardware that will be running your website. So you just experiment with numbers and see which one is okay. So generally having two three seconds delay is okay for the login and registration so just tune the number to get two or three seconds seconds of computation time for your particular server yeah and, and generally use users are okay with with waiting a little bit for the login or registration um, given that you don't make them log in every say, 30 minutes or something. So <laughs> yeah. um, people are usually okay with the little weight. Yeah, and uh, think of it like you are making the brute force of the hacker this much harder. So he will need two, three seconds to try on only one combination out of his dictionary. And if its dictionary is several million or billion records, so you can multiply that by three seconds and see how many time it will require to go to through the through his dictionary just for one user. Yeah. So the other option that uh, I will really recommend is using Libsodium, my favorite crypto library, and uh, it has 
it has integration with every major programming language right now. So if you're using PHP, uh, and by the way, in the PHP from the version 7.1, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Libsodium is uh, is built in. So you don't need to install any any extensions or plugins to the PHP to be able to use it. And for other languages like Java, Node.js, I don't know, Go, Python, there are like libraries you can download and really easily like connect uh, and use Libsodium there. So Libsodium contains a hashing function called argon2, uh, which I mentioned before already. And argon2, what's, what's good about it, it's, first of all, it's really simple function. So it, uh, it's, uh, and it's considered very secure one. And it's not only a computationally hard, it's not solving only computationally hard problem, but it also, it's also memory hard problem. So it has two parameters that you give to the argon2 function and how much CPU time it should use and how much memory it should use. And these parameters are tunable, so you can again tune with your server particular and see how much time does it take to complete one, one successful run of the argon2 function and go from that. So uh, this is uh, really important because uh, if you think about it, there is a lot of mining, cryptocurrency mining right now, and people are made a lot of software and a lot of hardware to accelerate hashing. And uh, actually, the cryptocurrency mining, the proof-of-work variant of the cryptocurrency mining, is all about making hashes. And people are made specialized hardware, which are called ASICs, to hash at terahashes a second. So uh, that that's why uh, that that's why it's really important to deliberately slow down this hashing process, and having them also memory hard problem there is really important to obliterate all kind of ASICs out there. So if you need, for example, one gigabyte of RAM to hash just once, then you can't make this whole work in par parallel and hash, I don't know, trillions times per second. That's insane amount of memory and RAM you, you will need for, for that. That's why it's a win-win it's a situation for us and lossless situation for hackers in this case. So definitely use Argon2 and use as much memory and CPU power as you can afford on your, on your server. So basically, all the mining that is going on right now is uh, helping the hackers in terms of brute force, right? Yes, yes, correct. So, uh, so using modern and memory hard functions is is even more important today than it was, say, a few years ago, because there is new and specifically designed software for those sort of problems. Yeah, if you have a lot of GPUs, you can either mine cryptocurrencies and earn money, or you can just crack passwords and maybe earn money too, I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, try to earn money. Okay, so we, so far we've talked about the situation where your database is leaked. But there is also another possibility that there 
has been a vulnerability on your server and some malicious code can be actually installed on your server. And so far, the scenarios that we have considered, all they all send the password in plain text to the server using HTTPS, obviously, so it's not that easy to snoop on that password. But still, let's consider what will happen if the plain text password is submitted to your server and for some reason there is some software that can snoop on it. So Alex, what would be the solution for that? Uh, yeah, so actually uh, sending plain text passwords to the server is not a is not a great idea because for example if somebody hacked your server they can modify your login script. So at the login script they uh, it gets the plain text password from user uh, using post method, right? HTTP post. But uh, in that case the hacker can just uh, send a copy of that password to himself and is not going uh, is not going to need to bother with all of your hashing anymore right he just got the plain text password that's all the game over so uh, what what you can do uh, you uh, there are libraries javascript libraries for both libsodium and pbkdf2 and you can use these libraries on the client side before even making a post request you can hash the password with JavaScript and send the result to the server. Then server takes that result already hashed, already hashed password and runs it through, again, through the password derivation function like argon2 or pbkdf2 or bcrypt. And even then, more hashes. Yeah, even more hashes. <laughs> and you, you, you do small amount of hashes on the client side, so the browser not getting unresponsive or something, and you do uh, even more hashes on the server, and then you compare the result with the saved one on the database. So in this case, intercepting the plain text password on the post, on the login, will not give any advantage. Uh, yeah. This is this is the thing that you should definitely do to be totally secure. So yeah, let's sum it up. What should we do when storing passwords in our databases? We should always hash them. We should not in invent our own crypto, but instead we should be using standard and time-tested solutions, libraries in other words. Uh, we should not send the plain text password from the client side, but instead use the same libraries on the client side to hash them significantly enough to be considered secure and then add even more hashes on the server side. And I guess basically that's it. Alex, did I miss something? Uh, yeah, and also always use salt and uh, pepper or hash encryption, symmetric encryption on your database. And then you pretty much covered all the attack vectors that your password on their, that in your database might be susceptible to. That's all, I think. By the way, guys, if you have any questions or you want us to talk about some specific topic, we have a Telegram channel and uh, you can find it uh, using the following li link. So it's t.me slash su underline podcast. 
So it's Security Unleashed podcast. So it's SU underline podcast. So we'll be glad to hear from you, some feedback, questions, or suggestions. Also, please subscribe if you learned something new today. Uh, so I think we earned subscription. And you can find this podcast on uh, nearly every, every podcasting platform. It's available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, etc. So if you have your favorite podcast app, you will definitely find Security Unleashed there. So we will be very glad if you subscribe and uh, get a notification when the new episode comes up. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. We're really looking forward to your comments on our Telegram channel. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.